On this episode of This Week in Linux, we have a lot of new releases to talk about, from applications to distros to even some hardware news. Gparted has finally reached the 1.0 milestone. Krita 4.2 and Zorin OS 15 were released this week. And some security news was released regarding the hidden Wasp malware, so we'll talk about all of that. In hardware news, AMD announced their new Ryzen 3000 series CPU, and we also got some product updates from System76 and Dell. In window manager news, we got some updates from IceWM and Herbsluft. Later in the show, we'll discuss some Linux gaming news as Google announced their for their a lot of news and structure and stuff for the Google Stadia service. Unity Tech announces the Unity editor is now available for Linux, and we'll take a look at an open source handheld console called Pi Gamer. All that and much more coming up. I'm Michael Tanel with Tux Digital, and this is your weekly source for Linux good news. This episode of This Week in Linux is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. It's optimized to make managing and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, and more. You can get access to this, plus their world-class customer support, for as low as $5 per month. DigitalOcean also has 2,000 cloud-agnostic tutorials to help you stay up-to-date with the latest open-source software, languages, and frameworks. You can get started on DigitalOcean for 30 days for free with a $50 credit by going to do.co slash tux. That's do.co slash tux. Again, you can get started on DigitalOcean with that $50 credit by going to do.co slash tux. And thanks again to DigitalOcean for sponsoring This Week in Linux. Before we get started with the show, I just want to let you know that I will be at the Southeast Linux Fest. This uh, is actually this week. It's uh, just in a couple of days, and it's going to be in Charlotte, North Carolina. So if you're in the area, it is definitely going to be a a fun conference to go to, so be sure to do that if you uh, are available to. This is going to be uh, my second year at SELF, and it'll be my first year to give two talks at SELF. Last year I gave one talk, and it didn't really work out that well. This year, I'll be giving two talks, so I can even, you know, I can double the chances of doing a successful talk. <laughs> anyway, I do plan on doing some, uh, doing an episode of This Week in Linux, while, while, if not while I'm there, at least publishing it while I'm there, or getting, you know, getting, getting one done when I'm on the way back or whatever. I hope to have one still, even though I won't be at my setup. I still want to try to do something like that. So, uh, you know, be sure to stick around and subscribe if you haven't. Uh, but there's uh, there's a lot of stuff we're going to be doing at the self this year. We're going to be doing a a live episode of Destination Linux, and that will be all all four of the hosts of Destination Linux, including myself, are going to be at this uh, self this year. So that is going to be awesome. And we're also going to do some live streaming. Uh, I'll be doing maybe like some vlogging or something or some occasional random live streams. So be sure to follow me on Twitter and Mastodon to get information about that. I mean, also if you subscribe and ring the bell for notifications on YouTube. That should also help and work to get you know get notified. Uh, but I will be posting on Twitter and Mastodon when I go live or when I'm about to go live anyway. So if you want to follow on that, that'll be you know probably the easiest way to guarantee it because YouTube, you never know really with them. But you know. So I, I there's also going to be um, some streaming in general for the South. Healthy Zenifex has their own, um, they have their own stream. And we're going to be participating in that stream periodically. 
Uh, we're going to be probably guest hosting here and there between talks and that kind of thing. So uh, if you want to be a remote attendee for Southeast Linux Fest, that would be a, a, a good option for that because that's how, that's how you get the, the stream. There's a, a full stream that you can have where you can stream every talk or most every talk, I think every talk. And then the other stream is like the free stream that anybody can go to, and that is like an all-day thing that they pick and choose which talks to show and all kinds of stuff. It's going to be a really interesting conference, so I look forward to it, and I hope to see you there. If you are going to the conference, please let me know. Uh, please uh, you know, feel free to stop me in the hallway and introduce yourself. I always love new, meeting new people, so don't hesitate to do that. And I look forward to meeting you, and I look forward to you know just the conference itself and seeing how it goes, and hopefully I don't you know, create a disaster with my talks again. I mean, technically I didn't create it. It was just like, it just circumstances and technical difficulties and all that other stuff. But hopefully this year I get past at least one of them smoothly. Oh, I will also be uh, recording those talks myself and uh, I will be uploading them to this channel. So if you want to check those out, uh, I, if, you have, if you're not aware, I'm doing two talks. One is Caden Live. Uh, like advanced techniques and stuff like that. And the other one is uh, open source marketing do's, don'ts, and how-tos. So that will be uh, also uploaded to this channel. So if you have not subscribed, be sure to do so because I think it is definitely going to be worth it. So I'll see you itself if you're there. And otherwise, I'll see you in like 20 seconds when we start the rest of the show because there's still a show to do. <laughs> uh Maybe not 20 seconds, a little less than that. A first in the show this week is Gparted 1.0 has been released. Now, Gpart has been around for 14 years now, and they've just now released 1.0. And I know that seems really weird, and I would agree that that is really weird. However, it's not necessarily that they're changing it because there's a huge major change to the overall infrastructure of the, of the software or anything like that. There are some significant changes to this particular release, but it's not like a huge change based on the version number. It's just they decided that it's time to turn it into a 1.0 um, you know, release cycle. I don't know why they took so long to do so because it's been you know one of the most popular uh, partitioning tools for you know well over a decade. So uh, in general, if you are a part of a project or you know someone is and they have you know spent a long time and they still haven't released a 1.0, it's probably a good idea to do that because a lot of people kind of uh, misunderstand that something is zero point something as a beta or as not available for people to use. So it's good that they finally have, have done it to change it to 1.0, but... You know, most projects, if it isn't, if it's in beta, feel free to keep it at that zero point, whatever. But if it isn't, it's a it's a good idea to update that that naming or that versioning scheme. So anyway, with this particular release of Gparted actually changes a lot of stuff that are significant in the sense of improvements to the overall usage of Gparted. For example, they have now uh, ported it to G GTK three, which it was using GTK two for that entire time, um, for not entire time, but for the most part. Uh, and they've also added support for F2FS for the read disk usage, grow, and check for those file systems. You can uh, They've actually fixed some slow refresh, refreshing at, uh, issues with the NTFS file systems. And they've also improved the boot menu uh, for UAFI and some others. So this is actually a pretty good release, and it's a, you know, it's a really good project, and it's been around for quite a while. So if you uh, need a 
partitioning system, especially if you wanted to have a, like a live ISO that for partitioning, uh, this is one of the best options for that. And uh, congratulations to the 1.0 release for Gparted. It has been a long time in the making. So if you'd like to learn more about G Gparted 1.0, I'll have a link to it in the show notes. So some really good news for Team Red and fans of Team Red. AMD has announced that the Ryzen 3000 series is coming soon. Actually, it's coming in with less than a month now. And AMD has put their competition on notice at Computex this year with an impressive lineup for the Ryzen 3000 CPUs and GPUs. On the GPU front, AMD announced the first Navi lineup based on the 7 nanometer architecture, with, which will be direct competitor to NVIDIA's 2070, and will, with as much as 10% performance boost over the 2070 line. The CPU lineup has, was even more impressive. Actually, it's, you know, ridiculously impressive with a, the 3700X, the 3800X, and the, 30, and the Ryzen 9 3900X. In fact, the Ryzen 9 3900X comes with 12 cores and 24 threads, and it has a base clock of 3.8 gigahertz with a boost clock of 4.6 gigahertz. And it also has a ridiculous 70 megabytes of cache. It only requires 105 watts as well, when you, and, and you can compare that to the Intel's closest competitor, which was the i9-9920X at 165 watts. So you have a, it uses less uh, wattage. It has, in many cases, it's significantly better performance and is also ridiculously better priced. So AMD basically dropped the mic with the price of the, the Ryzen 9 with a, the 9 3900X. So you can get that CPU for just $499. When you compare that to the i9-9920X that I just talked about, which is $1,100. So 499 1100 That's a pretty good deal considering it's also got uh, improvements like the overall... Like it's better wattage, it's better performance in many cases. Overall, it's just it's just ridiculously impressive all the stuff that they're releasing. It's actually kind of funny because there used to be a, a time period where AMD was known as the overheating, um, you know, the overheating hardware. So that if you wanted to like have better heat in your house, you would just get an AMD. And at this point, based on the fact that they have less wattage, better performance, and ridiculously cheaper price. It, it's kind of like flipped it completely, and now Intel is at that is is the 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 focus of that joke now, in my opinion. That's kind of funny. So anyway, uh, really, you know, AMD's CEO Lisa Su's leadership continues to show that AMD leaps and bounds is a leaps and bounds above where they were just a few short years ago, and their innovation in consumer friendly prices has them now raising the bar for all other competitors in this space. So I'm also really excited about this particular release because it means not only is the Ryzen 3000 series a ridiculously powerful hardware and has really good value for its competitors, it also means that the 2700X from last year is going to be discounted. And I am looking forward to doing that because I, I don't necessarily need the latest and greatest. I would like to have latest and greatest, but I'm okay with the 2700X because it's also a beast uh, CPU, so I'm probably going to check that out because it just means that there's going to be a lot of discounts on the second-hand version. So, you know, there's many ways to look at this being awesome. <laughs> so, 
you'd like to learn more about this particular release from AMD, I'll have a link to their blog post in the show notes. Back at GDC 2019, Google unveiled Stadia as their cloud gaming service powered by Linux, AMD, and Vulkan API. Now, recently, Google has announced through the Stadia Connect uh, YouTube channel the pricing and structure for Google Stadia as a service. So the highlights of the Stadia stuff is, or the Stadia event that they did recently, was that you can get uh, just for you can get 4K at 60 frames HDR playback with 5.1 surround sound with just having a 35 megabyte or megabit download connection which is pretty impressive considering what that means it, it implies that the compression for the data and this and the you know the feed is ridiculously impressive at that point if that's true also it says that if you get it, you can get a minimum of anywhere between a 1080p well 720p and 1080p somewhere around there with the 10 megabits per connection, uh, connection speed if that's what you want because that's that's ridiculously small also for that so it might mean that for uh, if you wanted to do 720p, maybe 1080p, even a DSL connection would work. Uh, but you know anything beyond that is you're going to need something more powerful. But it's interesting because there's there's some things that Stadia is doing that is um, not not ideal because when it was first to launch, people were talking about how this would be really cool if they're doing Netflix for gaming, and the fact that you'd be able to just start playing a game whenever you want and you pay a monthly fee for that. Now there is going to be a monthly fee in that it's called Stadia Pro and it will be available at $9.99 per month for the highest quality of 4K gaming. But that doesn't mean that you're going to be able to play all the games. Most games will be available to buy as opposed to rent versus that flat you know that flat monthly fee thing. So yes, there will be some games that will be available for free to play with the subscription account, but you'd actually have to buy some games in order to play them on site on Stadia. So it implies that you have to buy the subscription and pay for the game, but you don't own that game because it's still on a Stadia server. So you still have to pay the monthly fee in order to access that game, which is really weird. Now, they did say that you can get the free version of Google Stadia. That is going to be a thing sometime next year. I mean, you would, you actually have to buy the games if you want to use a free account. Uh, but if so, if technically if you had the, Pro, the Stadia Pro and then stopped using it, stopped paying for it, you still play the games that you did, but you still require their, their service to get those games. You can't just, like, transition it to Steam or whatever. So, like, it's kind of weird because it still requires you to have a, an internet connection it's to play the game. And you still have to pay the fee. And they haven't given the price about what these games might cost. But I doubt they're going to be very discounted at all, if, if any. But they also announced they're going to do this Stadia Founder Edition stuff where you can get, like, a custom um, uh, controller, a limited edition Stadia controller with a Chromecast Ultra and three months of Stadia Pro service. It's kind of hard for me to decide which one I want to do. You know, which what what position I want to take. Because one, as a gamer, I really want to check out this service because it's really interesting for the, especially for the idea of having these games available on Linux through this service. And it it could be that having support for these games on Stadia might make it easier for these companies to support Linux in general, which would be a good thing overall, even if the service is not something I want to use, 
it could still benefit Linux, and that's why it's on this show. But at the same time, it's Google, and I don't trust Google at all because they've proven there's no, they're not trustworthy. So, you know, it's, it's a mixed mixed feelings about this. One, I think it's a cool concept. I think the technology is really interesting and impressive, uh, especially if that compression system is is you know that claim is accurate. And I think it's really interesting in the fact that you don't have to download the games or you don't have to, um, you know, you can get access whenever you want. That's kind of cool. But at the same time, it's Google. So, yeah. Anyway, if you'd like to learn more about this, I'll have a link to the, uh, the video that they released on YouTube in the show notes below. Up next in the show, Zorin OS 15 has been released. Now, this is the 15th version of their distro. But you might be, if you're aware of Zorin OS, you might be wondering, like, wasn't the last one 12, version 12? And technically, yes. They decided to bump it up to 15 instead of going to, like, 13 or 14 because uh, in the very early days of Zorin, they actually had a different versioning or versioning scheme so that they technically have this released 15 times, or 15 new releases. So this would be the 15th. And they just decided to change it to just turn the version into the amount of times they've released. So uh, that's a, you know, that's a, a perfectly reasonable reason to change it to that. Uh, but if you were wondering, the 12 to 15, that's why. And uh, Zorin uh, 15 is based on Ubuntu 18.04.2 LTS version. And it's really interesting uh, a lot of the things they're doing, like how they're customizing GNOME and all kinds of stuff. And we actually had a conversation with Artyom from Zorin and on episode 65 of Destination Linux. So you can go check that out if you want to know more about the op- the, uh, the operating system and how they got involved in Linux and everything. Uh, it's really, really interesting. I'll have a link to the Destination Linux episode uh, in the show notes. But if you want to go to it right now, destinationlinux.org slash episode dash 65. So Zorin 15 uh, introduces some a lot of interesting things like the Zorin Connect is based on GS Connect combination with that and KDE Connect. It's like a, an interesting approach because the way that they've uh, they've rebranded the the uh, KDE Connect app on Android as well as the the stuff inside of the the shell uh, to kind of be more cohesive with the rest of the of the experience. So that's pretty interesting because I mean of course you know they're it's totally fine to do that because it's open source and everything. I just thought it was kind of interesting that they chose to make their own custom approach rather than, uh, well, not custom approach, but custom branding to make it easy for people, for their users to find what they need to do. You just call it Zorin Connect and on both sides, and then there you go. Whereas with the GS Connect, you actually have to go to the, your Android and install KDE Connect to get it to work. So that might be confusing to some people. But if you're not aware, KDE Connect is awesome, is awesome, and I'm going to do a video about that because it deserves it. So, moving on, they've actually improved some performance using the latest uh, uh, GNOME shell. Actually, I think they're using GNOME.30, uh, but they also up- upgraded their uh, the kernel for 4.18, and they're using the hardware enablement stack from uh, Ubuntu, so they're going to get more updates as soon as those are available. So, at some point, the 5.0 kernel will be available through the hardware enablement stack, and then Zorn will be able to utilize that as well. Now they've actually done a lot of interesting things. Is like they've modified their uh, their shell. Like if you haven't seen it, it's really interesting the way they do it because Zorin OS is GNOME shell based, but it looks nothing like GNOME shell. I mean, it's massively modified. It looks more like a Windows 10 GNOME shell merged thing. So if someone, if you if you 
wanted a, a distro option for someone who's coming from Windows, this might be something to you know uh, show them. Uh, it's it's a really interesting idea. Uh, I kind of I'm kind of curious why they chose GNOME to do this rather than just you know any of the other DEs that already have more of a paradigm with Windows. But it is pretty interesting, and they've also got a lot of customization stuff where they have an auto theme switch so that it switches to desktop into dark mode at sunset and back to light mode after sunrise so it like you know automatically does the instead of doing the you know removing blue light or uh, red shift kind of thing it just changes the desktop theme automatically based on the time of the day so that's pretty cool uh, they've also done it where they've set up flat pack support built into the OS as well as added a do not disturb mode which is pretty nice so Zorn OS comes in multiple editions as well, so you can get the Ultimate, Core, Lite, and the Education version. The Core version is free, the other versions are paid, and they come with additional features and different pre-installed stuff, like pre-installed apps for convenience and things like that. Uh, if you'd like to learn more about Zorin OS, I have a link to both the Destination Linux interview as well as the link to this release in the show notes below. Up next in the show is Krita 4.2. Krita 4.2 is recently released. And if you are you know, familiar with this show, you're probably aware that I'm a KDE fan. And one of the reasons I am is because of things like this. KDE makes an application, Krita, that is awesome. They make a lot of other great things too, but Krita is a ridiculously good uh, painting software for Linux. It allows you to do vector graphics and use drawing tablets and all kinds of stuff. It is an impressive piece of software. And this version improves support for multi-monitors, also adds more support for different drawing tablets, and improved overall performance of the application. It also features support for viewing and animating of HDR images, which is pretty cool. And in this latest version, they've added some new blend modes, some uh, give you the ability to uh, do undo multiple moves in a row. Um, they've improved the selections for... Uh, moving, rotating, and transforming selections. They've made it possible to resize thumbnails, improvements to the flow and opacity, sharpness, and opaque options inside of the editor. Uh, you can now do a copy translate mode that lets users specify multiple cursors on the screen simultaneously for painting and drawing, which is really, really cool. So if you're interested in checking out more about this, Krita is really cool. It's really fantastic and definitely worth checking out. So Krita 4.2 is linked in the show notes. Up next in the show is a couple of window manager news updates. And first we're going to start off with Herbsluft. Our Herbsluft VM 0.7.2 has been released recently. Uh, there's not a lot of information about what is new about this particular release. They didn't really provide that much information. So if you like to learn more, you're going to have to kind of dig in yourself. I'll have a link to all of it in the show notes, but as far as their main their main site and the also like the source code for the latest release, if you're interested in checking that out. But Herbsluft is a manual tiling uh, tiling window manager for X11 using Xlib and Glib. Now it's manual because it, like some uh, tiling window managers are more automatic loading, so it chooses where to put things, and this is more giving you more control of how you handle those things. So the layout is based on splitting frames into subframes which can then be split multiple times and then allowing you to put windows inside of those subframes. So it's pretty interesting because you can have uh, a lot like you can have tiling that's not like the uh, standard of grid styling you can uh, set up the tiling to be a specific style of setup per monitor even. Uh, that's one of the interesting things of how they do it because the tags system, they call it a tag system, but it's really more like a workspace and virtual desktop 
thing. They just call it t uh, tags. These are actually set up to be working on uh, independently on each monitor. So if you have multiple monitors and you have multiple workspaces, essentially, you can have them separated in, uh, you know, not not working exact same way on on each monitor. You can have or same monitors. I mean, you can have them separate so that each monitor has its own style of layout, uh, depending on how what all the, that you want to display. So it's a pretty interesting approach. And they also have like a really high portability aspect to it, where they have the configuration of the uh, the IPC calls uh, from their client to use a configuration file that is a, basically just a script that runs on startup when you boot your computer which makes it really portable so you can move that configuration file to whatever however many computers you want you want to use it on really easily so that's pretty interesting and if you'd like to learn more about Herbsolute VM I'll have a link in the show notes below and by the way I say Herbsolute VM not WM because it's a German word or a German uh, project, and the name is German, so the pronunciation is VM. And they asked me to do that when I talked to them a long time ago about making a how to pronounce video about this project. I haven't got to that yet, but I did find out that's what they prefer. So uh, a sneaky episode of how to pronounce is included in this particular episode of This Week in Linux. So there you go. Herb Slooped VM. I have a link to it in the show notes. Up next in the show is the other window manager we're going to talk about this week, and that is IceWM. 1.5.5 has been released, and like many other window managers, IceWM focuses on speed and simplicity and, you know, getting out of the way of the user. But this latest release has some interesting stuff that they've added. They've added some new hotkeys, they've added a new quick switch system, and they've also made it possible for or improved the behavior of focusing on which workspace that you want to be, like, actively using. And if you haven't heard of it before, IceWM is not a tiling window manager like the previous one. It is more of a traditional window manager, but still not exactly traditional in the sense that it's it's more similar to OpenBox than it is other things uh, because of how um, it's more it's a floating window manager uh, structure. And they've got a lot of interesting aspects to it because they have like they have a taskbar built into it, like uh, unlike OpenBox. So they've they've done some things where it's more of a combination of trying to be as lean as possible while still having the conveniences of a, a full a system or a full, a full desktop environment, but not exactly. Like their focus is not to be a desktop environment. It's just having some extra stuff like the taskbar optional uh, situation or having alt tab to do window switching and that sort of thing built into the structure. And they also have multiple workspaces and you can, you know, one of the things that I like about it is that it's really, it's fully usable via the keyboard. So it's, you don't even have to use the mouse. It's really highly navigatable through the keyboard, similar to how tiling window managers are. This is kind of like that, although it is very specific of how the keyboard navigation works. So you'd have to kind of get used to that and learn the process. But overall, it's pretty interesting uh, window manager. If you're interested in checking out, you know, a variety of different window managers, this is definitely one to put on your list. Uh, so if you'd like to learn more about this particular release of 1.5.5 of IceWM, I'll have a link to it in the show notes. Up next in the show, the Snap Store is now available as a Snap. Well, not now available. It's been around for a few months or so, about six months, I think. And, uh, well, I haven't talked about it on this show before because I wasn't aware of it until recently. So I decided I'm going to go ahead and include it in the episode because it is definitely interesting and worth checking out if you are using Snaps. Because the Snap Store is a fork of GNOME software that features Snaps and only Snaps. And this store also features tools that let you switch the Snap channels of an app, to adjust the app permissions, and you can read and submit app reviews. So 
it's really interesting that they did this because it allows you to install snaps more easily rather than you know going to the snap store on the website uh, copying the code to you know the code to install it through the command line you can just in, uh, copy the code for the command line once on the snap store and then just install everything from the snap store at that point so it makes finding snaps a snap so if you want to check out the snap store i'll have a link to it in the show notes below up next in the show is a celebration of sorts i'd like to tip my hat to the people behind distrowatch and pharonix happy birthday to both the uh, distrowatch and pharonix team distrowatch has been around for 18 years and Pharonix is now celebrating their 15th year of existence, so that's awesome. I mean, you've been doing stuff for so long that I've been, you know, keeping up to date with various different distro releases and uh, news updates for hardware and, you know, all the testing and, you know, benchmarking. Veronix has, has had the benchmarking uh, Veronix suite for 11 years now, so that's really cool. And there's so much information that they, both of these sites provide, and I just wanted to say, you know, thanks for all the stuff that you do and uh, many uh, wish well for many years to come. And, yeah, so happy birthday to DistroWatch and Veronix. Next in the show is some security news. A new malware has been discovered, and it's targeting Linux users. It's called Hidden Wasp. So they, they probably the scariest thing about this particular malware is that it has no um, has zero detection rate in all of the major antivirus systems, and also it seems to be doing things that doesn't require uh, doesn't actually can stay a lo- around a longer even if you remove the malware itself. So this particular malware isn't just crypto mining or DDoSing machines or anything. Rather, its goal seems to be targeting for remote control of the systems. This malware was discovered by the Intizer. I don't, I'm not sure how to say it, but Intizer. And they're stating it op- adopted a lot of its code from publicly available rootkits like Mirai and Azazel. The infection, infection process involves the creation of a new user account, like over SFTP, which likely allows the hackers to access the system even if Hidden Wasp has been removed. And the only provision prevention published at this time is to block command and control IP addresses detailed in the IOC section. So the Intizer people say, in order to check if your system is infected, you can search for ld.so files, and if any of these files do not contain the string, etc or etsy slash ld.so.preload, then your system might be compromised. So you want to check if you want to check it, you should do that. I'll have a link to the uh, blog post as well as uh, what to do in the show notes below as far as starts checking, see if you're infected. More than likely, you're not going to be because we don't actually see, know what the attack vector is for Hidden Wasp. It seems though that it isn't. It doesn't have an attack vector. It seems like it needs to have another method of getting into that system. And then once you have access to the system, then they would deploy it as a malware deployment rather than it having its own attack vector. So more than likely, it's not as big a deal as it's been made out to be, you know, having its own, uh, you know, branded name for the malware. Uh, but it's 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 still something that is uh, potentially bad for sure because of what, how, what kind of control it gives you. But it seems to need a separate attack, attack vector to in order in order to deploy it so a hacker would need to break into your system in another way and then deploy this in order to infect you so as long as your system is kept up to date and you install the security patches and everything like that you should be good to go for the most part but if you want to check your system anyway it's probably a good idea so i'll have a link to the hidden wasp blog post in the show notes if you'd like to learn more and if you'd like to run the uh you know 
test to see if you have an issue like that. Up next in the show is some more hardware news from Dell and System76. So up first, we're going to talk about System76's latest uh, update for the refreshed Gazelle Linux laptop. It's going to be coming with an NVIDIA GTX 16 series GPU. And this, this actually is going to be powered by the 9th gen Intel Core i7s and have options of up to 64 gigs of RAM, 8 terabytes of storage, 15-inch or 17-inch screens, and a choice between the NVIDIA GTX 1650 or 1660 Ti GPUs. System76 had this to say that uh, NVIDIA graphics are back on the Gazelle after a long hiatus, and we couldn't be more excited. Just like on the Oryx Pros, users can now switch between Intel and NVIDIA graphics using a toggle in PopOS. So uh, the Gazelle is going to have the similar thing that the Oryx Pro had where you have the switch back and forth between which hardware is being used through the Optimus switching stuff. So that is really cool. And that's one of the reasons why PopOS is an interesting distro to check out because they take that into consideration. And they also have um, AMD versions of the PopOS. So if you have that particular hardware, that's going to have a, you know, a setup you know, well for that particular structure. So that's really interesting. So if you haven't checked out Pop OS or System76, you might want to check those out. Uh, the, this latest laptop I don't think is available yet, but will be uh, available pretty soon. And Dell has announced that there's new Precision laptops. And these Precision laptops are are now available right now. And they're, they are three models, including the Precision 5540, 7540, 7740, and these offer 15-inch screens and 17-inch screens. Uh, actually, I think there's not just depending on which one you get, that's what screen you get. You don't have a choice between the actual thing. But so, like if you get the 5540 or the 7540, those are 15-inch screens, and then 7740 is a 17-inch screen. So all three laptops offer a range of Intel Core and Xeon processors, and they can choose between users can choose between Nvidia Quadro or Radeon Pro GPUs. So that's pretty cool, being able to have the option for AMD uh, GPUs. I kind of wish they had a, also a like AMD CPU uh, for their laptops, but I'm sure that's coming in you know in the future when because AMD is doing so much recently that they've also started doing stuff for their like the mobile line. So. More than likely, that's going to come out pretty soon. I, I hope to see, you know, laptop companies making AMD-based stuff because, you know, as a fan of open source, I, I want to see that, you know, more often. Uh, anyway, if you'd like to learn more about Dell's lineup of their latest uh, laptops, I'll have a link to them in the show notes below, as well as the System76 information from their blog post about the GNU Gazelle in the show notes below. Up next in the show is the Pi Gamer, some Linux gaming hardware news now. And so gamers have had the ability to use uh, you know, a variety of different handheld devices over the years for Game Boy, PS Vita, the Nintendo Switch now. But what about open source gamers? Well, Adafruit has answered the call for a portable open source gaming device called Pi Gamer. This device is actually pretty reasonably priced too at $39.95. It comes with a micro SD card slot for storing you know, information about the games and games themselves, I assume. A 1.8 inch uh, color TFT display it's connected to the to its own SPI port, so it's built into the actual device. That also has an analog uh, analog thumbstick that has X and Y analog inputs, which is really nice because it's like gives it like a modern feel rather than like the old D-pad style. So that's cool. And it also has a triple-axis accelerometer or motion sensor. It has four game control buttons with square tops, so that you can customize it if you wanted to put little extra caps on it. You can also use the stereo headphone jack, which is you know also called the courage jack these days. 
And it also has a USB port for both battery charging and also programming and debugging the device as well. So this is pretty cool. I think this is uh, definitely worth checking out if you're, a, if you're a Linux gamer. And I might pick one up just to have like some content for the show because it seems like it'd be really fun to play with. So uh, yeah, the Pi Gamer, if you'd like to learn more about this, I'll have a link to it in the show notes. And finally this week, Unity Tech announces that the Unity Editor is now officially available for Linux. Now, this has actually been around for a little while in an, in an experimental mode or, you know, beta mode, but they've actually now officially announced that it is ready for game development on Linux. The Unity Game Engine has been available on Linux for quite a while, so there's a lot of games that I play that use the Unity Engine, like, you know, Golf with Friends and some other ones. So there's a lot that are already using the game engine, but they had to develop it on a different platform, and now they can use the Linux platform to develop these uh, these games now through the, Uni the Unity engine, Unity editor now being on Linux, so that is awesome. And uh, yeah, if you'd like to learn more about this particular news, I'll have a link to the blog post from Unity in the show notes below. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on this show, please like that smash button and be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to support the Tux Digital channel, we have multiple ways to contribute via sponsors, Patreon, PayPal, and many others. You can learn more by going to tuxdigital.com contribute. Or you can order the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt by going to tuxdigital.com slash Linux is Everywhere. Or if you're in Europe, you can go to tuxdigital.com slash Linux Everywhere EU for shipping inside of Europe. I really need to make a simpler thing like slash store or something. That's coming soon, hopefully. We also have ways to contribute without any cost to you by using our affiliate links. You can find links for places like Amazon, Private Interaccess, and many more by going to tuxdigital.com slash affiliates. If you'd like to submit some good news to the show, then visit the subreddit at thisweekinlinux.reddit.com. If you'd like some more podcasting goodness from me, then check out the latest episode of Destination Linux as I'm a co-host of that show. And just a reminder, the show is live usually every Saturday. So join us in the live chat room to discuss all the latest Linux news each week. It wasn't live this week, but next week also won't be live because I'll be at self. So the week after that, it will be live. So there's, there's that. <laughs> anyway, thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tunnell with Tux Digital. And as always, keep using, learning, and enjoying Linux.